Good morning, everybody. Um, I listened to uh, Dan Phillips' sermon on the way out here, and he did a little preface before his sermon, so I hope that you guys are okay if I do one of those myself right now. Uh, and it was a very good sermon, by the way, Dan, wherever you went. Um, a lot of people have been asking me about the church plant, so I kind of just wanted to give a little bit of an update uh, on that. Um, and that kind of ties in what Dan was saying in his preface last week, a little bit of Presbyterian uh, 101. It ties into a lot of kind of how Presbyterian polity works. Um, I've done a lot of studying of Presbyterian polity, but it's all been kind of theoretical. Boy, the last month or so, I've like lived it big time. Um, so I went to uh, Atlanta for a week for the what's called Mission to North America assessment, basically where the PCA, you know, says if they think you're, you're capable of doing uh, church planning. Uh, Pastor Tim warned me that it's a rigorous week, and I should have listened to him more carefully, um, and it was, uh, but it was a great week, and, and they gave us the, the thumbs-up approval uh, to plant the church in St. George. So we're just so thankful for your prayers. So many of you guys have just been uh, so supportive. Um, in, in prayer and just, just being there as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a lot of people sending me emails and texts and just being extremely encouraging. Uh, many of you have been financially uh, supportive, so um, just, just so grateful. Um, but that was sort of step one. Step two is then you have to go before presbytery, um, and uh, uh, I, it was to, for me to get my license to preach so that I can preach at the um, at the church plant, uh, and then Pastor Tim will come out to St. George uh, about once a month on Wednesdays to do uh, the sacraments uh, for us, and if everything goes well, if the church plant seems like it's moving and we're not having like a lot of early problems and all that good stuff, uh, then the goal would for me to go back to Presbytery. Um, in, this Presbytery meeting uh, was in Sacramento um, uh, on a Friday. The next one is in February in Honolulu, um, which is kind of ironic. I've, I've lived in Honolulu for quite some time as the teacher out there, so I'll be going back there um, to be ordained, and then uh, um, uh, we'll be off and running as a mission church, and then the, what a mission church just means is like they recognize you as a startup church, you have a temporary session, um, and the goal is to become a particular church, which is where you're more of official church, kind of like how uh, this church body is. So thank you guys so much. Uh, please pray for our family. Tim warned us uh, there'd be a lot of spiritual war warfare. He kept telling me, it's going to come, Dan. It's going to come. And I'm like, okay, I, I got this. In my arrogance and in my pride, I was like, you know, I'm going to be praying and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, we got floored with a lot. Um, uh, I I'll spare you the, the dirty details, but uh, let's just say I hurt my toe very badly. Might seem like a toe, who cares? Uh, but it was extremely painful and having to walk through airports and do a lot of standing and stuff like that was like a huge distraction. Uh, our dog, which is like the, the easiest dog on the planet, never have any issues. She got a bladder infection. She had seven accidents in one day on the day that I was preparing to go out for presbytery. So I'm trying to study for my exams and I'm like cleaning up her mess. Uh, my one son, Matt, who never gets in fights, got in a huge fight at school. Um, I'm trying to deal with that. Uh, uh, Jim, who's been boxing since he was eight, one of his main skills, he's a tough chin, never gets concussions. He got a concussion. So um, yeah, it was like a cluster. It was rough. So um, we appreciate your prayers big time. We could use them. Uh, it was a lot that happened like all at once. And I'm giving kind of the sanitized uh, version. There was, just, there was other things going on as well. Um, but God was just uh, uh, so good. I don't struggle with anxiety usually. Uh, but boy, I was, uh, it was just so much was going on. I was kind of getting anxious, and I asked a lot of you guys to pray, and you did, and everything went really good, so we're just really uh, uh, thankful for that. Um, first service is going to be November 18th. Everything has gone very quickly. Um, 
And, but at, at every point, God has been opening up the doors, and so we're just really grateful uh, and really, really excited. But as I said, we could definitely use prayer for the church and for our family, and, and we just really appreciate that. So um, that's sort of my Presbyterian 101, uh, uh, myself version. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for its power. We're so thankful for um, the way that it changes us. We're so thankful, God, for its encouragement. Uh, for its comfort and for the way that it reveals your mercy, uh, your grace uh, to us, and it reveals your glory. I pray, God, that you'd fill me with your spirit as I preach today. I pray that you'd fill the, Holy, uh, fill the congregation with your spirit today. Um, I pray that, they would, um, uh, that we would all be edified, that we'd all be um, strengthened, and that we'd all just um, really bask in your glory, Lord Jesus, as we look forward to your coming. Uh, which is uh, going to happen, which is coming and will come in your good timing. We thank you so much, God, for all that you give us. We thank you for sending your son and that you're going to send him uh, to return as we're going to discuss today. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. All right, uh, the title of my uh, sermon today is The Victorious Return of Christ. Uh, if you guys could turn in your Bibles to Revelation 22.20. I'll be going through a number of texts today. Uh, don't feel the need to, you know, bounce all over your Bible. You can if you want, if you can do that quickly. Uh, I'll be reading a lot of the text, uh, but I know sometimes in a sermon when you're trying to go through a lot of passages, that can be difficult. Uh, but definitely turn with me to this text, uh, uh, if you will. I'll be reading from the ESV and all of these passages, as is my normal practice. <clears throat> Revelation 22.20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Before I get into the meat of the sermon, I just want to say that this text comes at the end of the book of Revelation, which is obviously heavily focused on the return of Christ. We live in a day and age where the return of Christ is, can be kind of an obsession in parts of the church. Uh, I feel like that's somewhat waning a little bit, which I think maybe might be a good thing. Uh, uh, but again, I know when I first became a, a Christian, uh, sort of dispensational, uh, left-behind theology was all of the rage. That's what I was introduced to. That was my eschatology. Um, I believed that for uh, a little while before uh, um, coming to my wiser days. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but again, uh, that was sort of the thing. Left Behind is, you know, really popular, selling a lot of books, all those types of things. A um, lot of debates um, take place over eschatology, and I think those debates are good. I think those debates are important. I think those debates are necessary. Um, but I'm not going to overly focus on those debates today. The focus I want to really kind of hone in on today is something I think that we miss uh, in all of our kind of, you know, squabbles over eschatology. Is it going to be a pre-trib rapture? Is it going to be mid-trib? Is it going to be post-trib? Is it going to be three-quarters? You know, I don't know. So, um, you know, is, is there going to be this long millennium, all these different types of things? And I think some Sometimes we lose the focus on the actual return of Christ itself, um, which all Christians of all different stripes uh, who do believe in the Bible from start to finish agree on that Jesus Christ is personally coming back in victory, and that is an awesome thing for us as Christians. Regardless if you're on-mill, post-mill, pre-mill, historic pre-mill, there's all these different names, uh, which I think is, is important, don't get me wrong. If you want some more detail on some of those sort of debates and stuff that people go over, I recommend Mark's uh, uh, um, series on eschatology. I thought he did an excellent job uh, of, of, of kind of 
uh, you know, gently saying what his position was, but he mostly was just trying to say, what are the different positions that are out there, and what are the main things that we all agree on and that we should focus on? And my focus on uh, today is the return of Christ, specifically the victory of Christ, Christ's victory over all things. And I think that should be our focus, the glory of Christ. Christ is coming uh, uh, to uh, conquer all of the evil in this world, all the evil forces, all of the things that make this life hard and difficult. He is going to wipe all those things out, and it is going to be amazing to see his glory. And that should be our focus. And that is really something that all Christians agree on, believe on. And that's really the context of this verse. It comes in the end of the book of Revelation, and the focus, regardless of what your view is of Revelation, and there's a lot of different views. There's a lot of different views on how to interpret Revelation, but the key theme is that Jesus is coming back, and he is coming in victory to make everything right, all right? And that is the focus of the book, and that is the context of this passage, and that is going to be the focus uh, of our sermon today. Uh, Want to read a quote from the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 33, paragraph 11, the first sentence. Um, and this is uh, kind of in the context of eschatology, but it puts the focus where it should be, uh, as I said, on the glory of Christ. It reads, the end of God's appointing this day, sort of the final day, God's uh, uh, a final day of judgment, is for the manifestation of the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect, and of his justice in the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. So it says the end, that means the point of this final day, is the glory of Jesus Christ, or the glory of God, both in our salvation, and then in the more politically incorrect part, but the part that we do need to emphasize, okay, uh, um, is in the damnation of those whose God has chosen not to save, all right? God is equally glorified in his grace and his mercy in our salvation, but also in revealing that he is a just God, he is a holy God, he is a righteous God, and he hates sin. He won't tolerate sin forever. It might seem that way, all right, because sin has gone on for so long, but the Bible is clear. He will not tolerate it forever, and he will bring that to an end, and that will bring him a tremendous glory. All right, so uh, uh, with that, the first point uh, that I want to go over is what is the return of Christ? <clears throat> Most of you guys probably have the basics down, but in case there are some people that are, are new to the faith, uh, maybe you're, you're here today, you're visiting, and you're not totally clear on what is the return of Christ. Again, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty uh, nitty details about some of the debates, but I'm just going to focus on some things that all Orthodox Bible-believing Christians have believed in for 2,000 years that are very important and will sort of be the uh, um, kind of centerpiece of this service today. Main thing is that Jesus Christ is going to return personally. It's not like a figure of speech. It's not in some like ethereal kind of like unexplained sort of vague way. Uh, you, have, you have various groups who have even say that Jesus already returned in some sense, okay? That he returned spiritually. Uh, he's still in heaven, but he actually returned in some sense of the word, all right? The biblical view of the return of Christ is that Jesus Christ in his human nature, in his divine and human nature, is going to personally, physically, visibly return to this earth to make everything right. That he is going to come from heaven with all of the holy angels and all Christians, okay, who have died in the Lord, and he is going to come back with them, all right, in great glory and victory. And there's different details as to how it's going to work for the Christians that are still alive on earth. I won't, you know, get into all that. But the bottom line is, okay, whether you're still alive at the return of Christ, whether you're in heaven, we're all going to join him in that glory and that victory. And we're going to talk more about later why that's such a big deal and why that's so important, all right? 
Um, the, the traditional sort of reform view is that when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, that he will set up his final uh, kingdom, that there's not going to be this, you know, literal millennial kingdom, and that's going to be all she wrote. There's going to be the final judgment, um, but there are good, solid, Bible-believing Christians who believe there's going to be this thousand-year reign called the millennium, where the Jesus Christ is going to reign, and then at the end of that, that's going to be all she wrote. Regardless of what your view is on that, the return of Christ is sort of the first major massive step in God sort of completing everything, making everything right, and being, uh, um, reaching uh, sort of the apex of his glory uh, and his victory. <clears throat> Point two, the victory of Christ. As I said, this is the focus of the return of Christ. Far too often today, and again, I think it goes back into a lot of these, these eschatological battles that people have. Is it going to be pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib? All these different types of things. Or even in amongst those that I think have, a, in my opinion, a healthier eschatology, the focus a lot of times can be on what God is going to do for us. And there's nothing wrong with teaching that and, 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 and receiving great comfort from that. But a lot of times it's, it's how, you know, what is the new earth going to be like? What is the new heaven going to be like? Uh, what, what are, are we going to, you know, be uh, on clouds, you know, with harps and all that good stuff? Um, you know, it's very much a focus on, on us uh, as Christians, all right? And the focus should be on Jesus Christ, all right? This is something that I is a pet peeve for me. You know, it really is. It's something that I focus on. I know sometimes I might sound like a broken record. I know my kids certainly think I sound like a broken record on this point. Uh, it's something I emphasize in, in Sunday school, but it's something that God has really put on my heart. And that I just think that the American church today is way too focused on making Jesus Christ a means to our own ends. And that is a big problem, and that is something that we need to try to correct, all right? Jesus Christ, okay, is not a means to you becoming a, uh, a perfect husband or a perfect wife or a perfect parent or the perfect coach or the perfect uh, a business person. And you see this in very crass forms, sort of on a uh, 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 quote-unquote Christian TV. But you see it even, I think, um, uh, even in healthier churches, okay, where there is just this focus on what Jesus gives us, all right? And don't get me wrong. God gives us great blessings. I have been very, very blessed in my life, extremely blessed. The Bible, Jesus talks about how our Heavenly Father loves to give us good gifts as his children. So there's nothing wrong with believing that and understanding that, all right? But that is still in the context, all right, of those things bring God glory, and that should be our focus. Jesus Christ is not a means to our own ends. Jesus Christ is the end. He is the point. He is the purpose. He is the one that gives you fulfillment. He does not, he's not an avenue towards something else giving you greater fulfillment. Josh talked about in Sunday school today, uh, he referenced Tom Keller uh, a lot, and this has been a big focus of Keller, and I really appreciate this, and I think he really is touching into something important in our culture right now, all right, is that we tend to think of idolatry sort of as it existed often in the Bible, because that was their culture, all right? You were defined in the ancient world by your religion, and your religion was very much by defined by the what? the gods that your religion worshipped, all right? And you better have visible representations of those gods because that defined your tribe, that defined your culture, all right? And, but today, we don't really define ourselves. It's not that idolatry in that crass sense doesn't exist anymore, but that's not really how we tend to define ourselves anymore in our day and age, all right? We do it more, much more subtly, all right, as Josh talked about uh, today, through, through work, uh, through our kids, all right? Uh, some people talked about image uh, in, in, in Sunday school today. Those are all things that we make uh, idols out of, and sometimes we actually think that Jesus exists 
to give us those things, all right? And you'll, you'll hear that preached and taught very often in the American church today, all right? And that's not what it's about. Our focus, our obsession, what should, you know, get us going, all right, in the morning as Christians is not our glory, but the glory of Jesus Christ. And that is what the second coming is all about. Yes, we are going to get amazing things out of the second coming. Don't get me wrong. Sin is going to be washed away. We are going to have a new home in the new earth. We are going to have fellowship with each other. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more suffering, no more crying, no more sin. But that's not going to be our focus. The focus on the new heavens and the new earth is the fact that we get to be with Jesus every single day, all of the time, for eternity, and we get to see him magnified and glorified for the person uh, and the God that he is. All right? It's so difficult. It should be difficult for us as Christians to hear uh, all the time people say things about Jesus that are not true, that are false. You know, usually you'll hear people, and they won't just come out and be like, Jesus is evil, all right? You know, people will say, uh, you know, uh, Jesus, maybe he didn't exist, or they'll say, Jesus is this version or that version, so on and so forth, but they never want to recognize Jesus for who he is as the one and only true God, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who is worthy of all of our focus, all of our worship, all right? And that is what will sort of culminate when Jesus Christ comes back, all right? So again, the, the focus of this, the, 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 um, the second coming should not be on all these sort of tangential things that I'm not saying are unimportant in of themselves because they are important. The focus should be on Jesus Christ and his victory, his glory. That is where the Bible places the focus. That is where the book of Revelation uh, puts the focus, and that is where our focus should be as well. <clears throat> Having said all that, one of the most awesome things is that we get to be part of that victory, that we get to join with Christ and see him in his victory. Um, I think I've told many of you guys before, many of you guys know that me and my kids were big sports fans. Uh, there's no hiding that, all right? We're from the Bay Area. We're big Warriors fans, Niners fans, Giants fans. Uh, great time to be a Warriors fan. The other teams, eh, not so much these days. We had big hopes for Garoppolo, and then, uh, yeah, bad things happened. So, um, but... I, my, me and my kids, when we go to a sports game, I mean, we get into it. We get pumped up. Uh, we went to a jazz game uh, uh, not that long ago. The Warriors played the jazz. Obviously, as Warriors fans, we were in the minority, although there was still quite a bit of us at, at the jazz game. Uh, and we were sitting, there were some jazz fans sitting right behind us. Uh, we were cheering and yelling and freaking out. That's what we do when we watch Warriors games. Uh, and this fan behind us uh, didn't realize that we're from the Bay Area. We've been Warriors fans our whole lives. And he goes, you know, I love these Warriors fans. You know, they just all of a sudden start rooting for the Warriors. They weren't rooting for them 10 years ago when they sucked. And all three of my, all four of my kids, like without hesitation, all just turned around and were like, no, 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 no. We've been rooting for the Warriors for our whole lives, like since we were like in the womb. And I was like, you guys calm down, you know, okay, it's all right. You know, and he, he literally was so like taken aback by that. Like at the second half, he moved his seat. He, he like sat somewhere else. So, um, so you get some idea of how our family feels about sports. We take it way too seriously, okay? We can talk about that idol on some other Sunday. Um, but yeah, we take it way too seriously. But again, what's, what makes sports so fun for us is it's so cool to be some, part of something that's bigger than ourselves. That we're, we're, we're not the focus, you know what I mean? We're, 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 we are rooting for, some, uh, for a team uh, uh, other than ourselves, and we know that there are fellow fans all over the world, and especially from where we're from, the Bay Area, all right, and there's a camaraderie there. There is something that is really amazing and really cool when the Warriors uh, win the championship, okay? You feel like you're a part of that, all right? But again, 
it's in a very secondary sense, right? It's real, it's awesome, it's cool, but it's in a secondary sense. Who really is getting the glory, and rightfully so, okay? The players, they're the ones who did the work, they're the ones who are earning it, all right? Steph Curry is, is, and, and Kevin Durant, they're the main show, and that's how it should be, all right? And in a much broader, better, more infinite sense, that's how it is with Jesus Christ. We get to be on Jesus's team. We get to be with him in his victory. But remember, we're not the stars, all right? We're not the focus. We're not the all-star. We're the ones rooting for Jesus. We're the ones uh, uh, can't wait for him to come back, for him to be magnified, for him to be glorified, for him to be victorious. And that's an awesome thing. But remember, in the Christian faith, and I've said this so many times, and I'm going to say this at this church plant until they tell me I can't pastor anymore, all right? That, uh, and it's not for me. I don't want to take credit for this. One of my old pastors, uh, and again, he wasn't even a, a reformed guy. He was a Calvary Chapel pastor, and say what you want about Calvary Chapel people. They are passionate about Jesus Christ, and he used to say something that I had a lot of disagreements with him as a reformed guy. We weren't at that church long, but he said something that I just so resonated with. He said, within the Christian faith, there is only one all-star, there is only one superstar, there is only one rock star, and it ain't you. It is Jesus Christ, and you need to remember that. And that is so true. We have only one superstar, all right? And it's not us, all right? We are rooting for Jesus Christ. But just like how cool it is when the Warriors win that championship and we're rooting and we get to be a part of it, that's what it's going to be like only to a much, much, much infinite more higher degree when Jesus Christ comes back. We're not just going to be rooting from him for, from afar, all right? As I said, we will come with him from heaven if we have passed away. Or if we are on the earth, we will join with him in his victory. But it will be his victory, okay? <clears throat> Point three, <clears throat> and this one is going to take me a little bit longer. If you were like, wow, he's really cooking. The sermon might be kind of short. Uh, uh, you, you know, um, don't worry. Point three will take care of that. Um, it's been interesting in this, in this, all this church plant stuff. Uh, a lot of positive feedback, a lot of positive feedback, more, way more than I deserve, but um, you also get a lot of negative feedback as well. I mean, they, they, they tear you to shreds, okay? You got to work on this personally and in your home life, and uh, you got to work on this with your preaching and your teaching and all this stuff, um, and so it's been very humbling. Uh, but with that all kind of wrapping up, the MA and the PCA and uh, Presbyterian, I was like, okay, I'm kind of moving past that, you know? I'm looking forward to preach today, and, you know, you, people at Spring Meadows, they're always so nice, and they're just always so positive, and we're in the car this morning, and Rose goes, you know, Dad, do a great job. I'm so proud of you. But sometimes you go a little long, so, you know, maybe kind of tone it down just a touch. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, good, good feedback for us. So I, I, hopefully I don't go too long today. Um, uh, point three, though, is the comfort we receive from the return of Christ. <clears throat> and this is really important. I really want us to pause and really ponder this. If, if you woke up uh, uh, every morning and you knew that no matter how bad things were in your day, that whatever you set out to do that day, no matter how rocky it was along the way, no matter how much things veered off the path and you had some frustration, if you knew every day that you were going to get done everything you needed to get done, that you were going to do it well, and that you were going to end up having a great day. You would look back and say, boy, that was rough, really rough at some basic points, but at, at the end of the day, everything went really good. It went uh, according to plan, all right? All of us would wake up with a tremendous feeling of comfort and strength from that, right? Okay, that, that was a victorious day. If we knew the end, okay, at the beginning of the day, that would shape how we approach the day uh, in a big way, all right? And one of the hardest things about life is that we don't know. 
We, we oftentimes just don't know how our day is going to go. And oftentimes, uh, the days are not victorious, right? Okay, many days are, are, are anything but victorious. They're very difficult and very hard. But what the victory of Christ, what the second coming of Christ brings us comfort, all right, it's such an amazing thing that we know the end. We know how it ends, all right? We don't have to worry if Jesus is going to be victorious or not. You don't have to worry, are you going to be victorious or not? And you hear all this, this subtle or this silly kind of, you know, have victory in Christ on TV, you know, like, and, it, and I, like I said, it's very much he's going to make you the perfect dad, the, the, the perfect uh, um, husband, the perfect businessman, all that kind of stuff. And none of that's true, all right? None of that is guaranteed in Scripture. God guarantees that with his help, you'll get better at all those things, all right? God will sanctify us, but this idea that you're going to have total victory in every aspect of your life, where does the Bible ever say that? I've got news for you. I've read it a few times. It doesn't say that, okay? All right, but what it does say is that Jesus will have the victory, and you can have the victory through him, and that is an amazing thing, all right? No matter what goes on in our lives, and there's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be bad days. That's just part of life, period, and that's definitely a part of the Christian life, all right? But it's just, it just should be mind-boggling to us. It should blow our minds that we know how it ends. God has not left us hanging, all right? There's no cliffhanger, all right? And that might seem like, well, it's not a very interesting movie if you know the end, all right? But again, it's not a movie, all right? This is our life. This is our future. This is, um, you know, what we need, all right, uh, to, to feel comfort, to feel strength. And we can know that no matter what happens in this life, no matter how bad things get, no matter how crazy things get, all right, that we are going to have the victory in in Jesus Christ. And that is something that should give us a tremendous uh, amount of comfort. <clears throat> um, I want to go over some messianic prophecies. This might seem kind of like I'm sidetracking a little bit. Please just hang with me, all right, and I'll kind of bring it back in. I'll tie it into the second coming of Christ, uh, and I will explain how it also ties in to our comfort in Christ. Um, there are gazillions of messianic prophecies, so before you get too nervous and before, you know, Rose really starts to fall off her chair, I'm only going to go over a few, okay? But bear in mind, I know some of you will be like, why didn't you hit Isaiah 53, or why didn't you go over, you know, uh, this one, that one? All right, again, time is of the essence. I just want to focus on a really few key ones, all right, and then I'll kind of bring it all back to the um, return of Christ and the victory of Christ, all right? Um, feel free to try to bounce around, but I'm going to be going kind of quickly, um, so you might want to just sort of um, listen as I read them and as I comment on them. <clears throat> Messianic prophecies, okay, if, that, if that's a new term or something that you don't know, those are basically just prophecies um, predicting uh, the future um, uh, coming of uh, the Messiah. Not necessarily the second coming, although some of them do do that, or they combine the first and the second coming, uh, but just the coming of the Messiah. Again, if you're new to church or, or, or if you're new to the faith or you're a visitor or whatever, if you don't know what the term Messiah means, it's not a complicated term. It just means anointed one. Messiah, okay, is sort of Hebrew uh, for anointed one. And Christ is the Greek rendering of Messiah, all right? So it just means anointed one. If you ever hear people say Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name, all right? The closest thing to a last name for Jesus actually would have been Jesus of Nazareth, all right? Oftentimes in the ancient world, you would talk more about where a person was from. Messiah is a title for Christ, all right? It means that he is God's anointed one, all right? An anointed one in the ancient world <coughs> was somebody, okay, uh, uh, who was 
um, specifically anointed by, usually by a priest in your given religion for a very specific task, okay? It was a way of symbolically saying that your God, okay, had anointed this person to do something uh, uh, special, all right? And, and within biblical faith, obviously it means that Yahweh has anointed you to do something very specific, and it was usually done to the kings uh, in ancient Israel, okay? They were anointed by the priests to um, symbolize that God um, had anointed them. He had given them a special measure of his Holy Spirit so that they could fulfill their task as the king of Israel, right? But there is a sense in which the Old Testament says there is going to be an ultimate anointed one, that he is going to be not just any king, but he is going to be the ultimate king of Israel. He is going to rule over not only God's people, uh, namely the Israelites, okay, but all of the world as the God-man, all right? And so there's these prophecies about this Messiah, all right? And I want to go over a few of these really quickly. Uh, the first one I want to touch on is Genesis 3, 14 through 15. It reads, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. <clears throat> field excuse me. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, so this is the first promise that just after the fall, just after this sort of temporary victory of Satan. Satan's won a big battle. He's not going to win the war, all right? As I talked about, Christ gets the victory, but he did win this battle, all right? But God makes this promise, and to some extent, a little enigmatic. It gets more and more specific as the Old Testament progresses. But what is clear from this is there's going to be this person. There's going to be this individual man, all right, and use the word his on two occasions, all right, who is going to be the offspring of Eve, all right, so again, he is going to be uh, a fully human being, all right, he's going to be a descendant of Eve, and that he is going to conquer Satan in some sense of the word, all right, that he is going to <clears throat> bruise his head, okay, and that Satan in the process will bruise his heel. We know from the New Testament, okay, that the fulfillment of this was at the cross, Jesus Christ defeated Satan once and for all at the cross, all right? But in the process, okay, Christ had his uh, heel more than just bruised, okay, uh, absolutely decimated, okay, through the nail going uh, through his feet, all right? But this is sort of the first messianic prophecy in Scripture, okay? Uh, the second one uh, that I want to go over um, is Psalm 2. This is one of the most important and detailed ones uh, that you're going to find in the Old Testament. Psalm 2, it says this, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. <clears throat> I will tell of the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten of you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. 
A couple things I want to say about this text. It says, makes it very clear here that this uh, uh, promised uh, Savior, okay, this is where one of the key places where we get the term Messiah. The very says, against the Lord and his anointed. All right, he's not going to just be any king, that he is going to be the Lord's specific anointed one. And it says a number of other key things in this text. The Messiah will be an individual man, reiterating what we saw in Genesis chapter 3. He will be the Son of God. It says that very clear, okay? Talking about um, this Messiah is going to be God's specific Son. He will be God in the flesh. He will reign over God's people. He will conquer the world. You see that all, a number of places where it talks about um, him dashing uh, them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You might say, where does it say that he's going to be God in the flesh? Very clearly, at the end of that verse, it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The Old Testament again and again and again and again and again, almost ad nauseum, says we are to take refuge in who and who alone? God, okay? Yahweh, all right? The only one that we are to take refuge in is him. And yet, in this passage, it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in this anointed one. Very clear sort of Old Testament reference to the deity of Christ. Now, if you say, well, that's a little bit of a stretch. Does the Old Testament really teach the deity of Christ? It actually does on a number of occasions. Not nearly as explicitly as the New Testament, uh, but it does teach that. Um, I could give a number of passages to that effect, but I just want to give one really quickly. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, which also reiterates not only the deity of Christ, but a number of other key points from Psalm chapter 2. Isaiah reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. <clears throat> Very clearly in this text, it refers to the Messiah as the mighty God. All right, it also calls him everlasting father. Now that text has been a little bit abused by those who try to teach that the son and the father are the same person. In the Hebrew, a better rendering is just father of eternity, meaning that this individual, okay, rules over all eternity. Another clear reference to the deity of Christ. And then it says a number of things that reiterate what we saw in Psalm uh, 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 chapter 2. The Messiah will be an individual man. He will be the son of God. He will reign over God's people as the descendant of David. That is something that's emphasized very clearly in this passage. <clears throat> he will conquer the world. And then the last part of that verse is very important for the direction that I'm going. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That the Messiah and his victory and his conquering of the world is not going to be through human means and measures. All right, That is so important. It will be abundantly clear that this is God who is doing this. It is God who is behind this. It is God who is the one who is orchestrating all of this. All right? Last messianic uh, psalm or uh, passage that I want to go over really quickly, uh, and then I'm going to kind of tie this all together, is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. The key thing I want to see you guys to see from this verse, this is so important, is the Messiah will have followers from all people groups. Okay? Far too often, the Jews, just before the, time of the Christ, just before the time of Christ, and then really, and again, I'm not trying to be harsh or anything like that, I'm just, I'm just stating some facts here. The, the Jewish religion, okay, ever since the time of Christ, 
has really twisted and, and sort of contorted a lot of verses to really try to say that the Messiah was for the Jewish people and the Jewish people alone. All right? There was a really strong sense of nationalism and very much an us versus them mentality in uh, early Israel just before the time of Jesus Christ. Okay? But again, verses like this and so many others that I could give make it clear that while Israel was the focus of God's uh, plan for a great deal of time and in the Old Covenant, that this was not going to be the way it was forever. Eventually, God was going to expand the kingdom far outside of Israel, bring in the Gentiles, and he would have followers all right, from all nations, all groups, all different peoples, all right? And this is something you see very clearly in this verse. <clears throat> so again, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, and this is the important part, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Messiah will be an individual man as we have seen over and over and over again in these verses. It's not as many uh, uh, Jewish people interpreted before the time of Christ. They said the Messiah might be uh, two uh, uh, men, or it might be a, a, a group of prophets, or it might be sort of a, a governmental entity or something like that, all right? Uh, very similar to where you see people try to interpret the Antichrist uh, today. It's maybe it's, it's, it's uh, a government group or whatever, even though over and over again he's referred to as he, he, he. And you see that, okay, with the true Christ in the Old Testament. He will be an individual uh, man. He will be God in the flesh. says very clearly, all right, that um, uh, one came like his son and, and was presented and <clears throat> that all languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Again, we are to serve God and God alone. And here in this passage, we are told that all people from, or people from all nations, groups, okay, uh, languages will serve this Messiah. Again, showing that the Messiah is God in the flesh. He will reign over God's people and all of the world. Okay. All right, what does this have to do with the uh, second coming of Christ? Where am I going with all this? What does this have to do with the victory of Christ? All right. Think about this. Even the most liberal scholars out there, no one denies the fact that the Old Testament was completed before the time of Christ. They might say that the dates that we as, as believers give to the books of the Bible are off. Okay, fine. All right. But no one denies that the Old Testament was completed and these prophecies existed all right, in uh, the Old Testament. And think of what these prophecies say. Think of how specific they are, that there will come a man an individual man, and he will need to be an Israelite. How do we know that? Because what did some of these passages say? He has to be a descendant of who? David. So he has to be an Israelite. It can't be a Roman. It can't be, you know, someone from Syria, so on and so forth, who's going to sort of come from the outside and, and be the anointed Messiah, all right? It has to be an Israelite, all right? Where was Jesus born? Nazareth. The most liberal scholars out there, okay, it's a very small amount of people who say that Jesus never existed, and there's some pretty wacky scholarship there, okay? Really wacky scholarship. Almost everybody, regardless of your intellectual persuasion, believes there was a real man, Jesus of Nazareth, who existed in Israel and was an Israelite. All right? Many would say, oh, he didn't claim to be the Messiah. He didn't claim to be God in the flesh. Those are all very stretched arguments, but even for the sake of argument, let's say, okay, we can't prove that you know, in the way that they want us to. At the very least, 
No one denies that Christ's early followers said that he claimed to be God in the flesh, that he claimed to be fully man, and that he was resurrected from the dead, and that he would come back one day, that he would come back in victory, and that his gospel would go throughout the world, all right, and it would be completely and totally diverse, all right? Think about that, all right? What have we seen for the past 2,000 years, all right? This person from this little nowhere town, if you don't know much about Nazareth, all right, it is like, was like the most out there, non-respected town that you could get. Not a lot of people, no like economic or political clout whatsoever. I mean, they really thought, uh, there's even a comment in the Gospel of John where they basically questioned, all right, could anything good come from Nazareth, all right? This person who had no noble birth, no wealth, all right? He was the son of a carpenter. He was self-educated. Remember the Jewish leaders constantly criticized Jesus because they, he is not learned, all right? Just as they uh, uh, criticized his later disciples, all right? So this man from this tiny little town, all right, with no military backing or anything like that, and he comes along and everyone agrees that he existed, that he was a very persuasive teacher and his early followers said he claimed to be God in the flesh, he claimed to be fully man, and that he, his gospel, would go throughout the world and it would do it in such a way that you would be hard-pressed to deny that it was from God himself, all right? And look at what we've seen for 2,000 years, all right? I'm a student of history. If you want to come and talk to me more about this later, we can. How do most religions spread in the world throughout history? Any, any guesses? What's that? Intimidation. Intimidation. Very good. I think I heard some other ones. Military conquest. All those answers are perfect. All right? All right? I'm, again, I'm not trying to overly rack on Islam, although certainly as a believer, I don't have a high view of Islam. Okay? Uh, but, you know, how did Islam spread? All right? Through conquest. Most of North Africa, most of the Middle East, all right, is Islamic today because of military conquest. All right? What religion dominates Mexico all the way down to the very bottom of South America? Roman Catholicism. Why? The Spaniards conquered that area, okay? I'm not saying Christianity never did much conquering, okay? But it was really, you had some with Charlemagne and some other, you know, the Crusades and other small examples. But for the most part, for 2,000 years, okay, Christianity has spread throughout the world, not through military conquest, but against all odds. If you guys were in my church history class, you saw... No religion, no faith, no group has ever been more persecuted in the history of the world than biblical Christianity, all right? Against all odds, the gospel has spread all throughout the world, all right? The most diverse religion on the planet today, by far, it's not even close, is biblical Christianity, all right? You have Christians, all right, in America, you have Christians growing rapidly. The gospel is spreading rapidly in South America, Africa, Asia, all over the world, even in parts of the Middle East, which is very difficult to spread. You're seeing the gospel spread, all right? It is the most diverse religion on the planet. Think about it, all right? Most religions are very limited, all right, to a specific ethnic group, all right? Most Buddhists, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be only negative against Buddhism, but I'm saying most Buddhists are what? of Asian descent. Not all, but the vast majority, okay? Most Muslims, like I said, North Africa, uh, the Middle East. Uh, most Roman Catholics, okay, uh, 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 the Hispanic part of the world. There's, there's more, uh, uh, plenty more outside of that, but again, uh, you have uh, this where most religions are very, very limited to a specific ethnic group. Biblical Christianity is the most diverse religion on the planet by far. It is spread for the past 2,000 years against all odds, tremendous persecution. If you were in my church history class, think about it. The Roman Empire, it ruled the known world, all right? It had complete and total, absolute military power, 
All right? They were pros at destroying people and imposing Roman authority. I mean, that's literally like what they did. And what did they try to do? They tried to stamp out Christianity with everything they had. They gave it all their military might. They gave it all their financial resources. They did everything they could to stamp out this little tiny religion that had nothing going for it, all right? No military power, no political clout, and what happened, no matter what they did, no matter how hard they tried, Christianity just kept spreading and spreading and spreading until it took over the Roman Empire, not by military might, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, all right? You can, I, again, I've talked about this before. Uh, again, probably going back to my, my broken record tendencies. Um, I was raised in a very intellectual home. My dad was just, it's all about the intellect. It's all about logic. It's all about proof. It's all about evidence. All those things, all right? And I've talked about, there's things in the Bible, there's portions of the Bible that, oh, I bristle against because of the way that I was raised. And I have to fight against that because I believe every word of the Bible is from God, all right? But this stuff gets me going, all right, because of the way that I was raised, all right? You want to talk about, okay, a stretch intellect, intellectually, all right? All of those passages, all right, talking about how there's going to be this guy, who comes along, nothing going for him. And Isaiah even talks about there's nothing about his appearance uh, to make him, you know, attractive to people, all right? He's from this little town, no political uh, power, no military power. He comes along, and he claims to be God in the flesh. He claims to be man, all right? He dies on the cross. His early followers claim he's raised from the dead. And in fulfillment of all those passages that we talked about, Christianity has spread throughout all the world. It's the most diverse religion on the planet. And you're going to look me in the face, and you're going to say that's all a big coincidence, the intellectual in me is going to say right back to you, give me a break, all right? That's not a coincidence. You can't explain that. And I would challenge anybody, and I've challenged this to people, I would challenge anybody to show me another faith that has anything that comes even close to that kind of proof, to anything that comes even close to beyond the coincidence. I mean, you talk about, uh, uh, I'm going to be witnessing to Mormons with this new church plan that's going to be kind of my mission field. Uh, the, the, the prophecies of Mormonism, I mean, they're a huge stretch. I mean, the, the, one of their biggest ones is in Ezekiel where it talks about um, the stick of Judah and the stick of Israel coming together. I've heard Mormons quote this to me so many times. They say, look right there, that talks about how the Bible and the Book of Mormon, there's going to be two books and it comes together. And again, I have to be very nice and be like, okay, let's go to Ezekiel, let's look at this passage. It doesn't say anything about books, okay? I don't know where you're getting this, all right? Islam, I've, I've witnessed a lot of Muslims over the years, all right? Mo did you know that most of their prophecies about Muhammad, they say, come from the Bible? And you know what most of those passages are? The Holy Spirit. They'll talk about this counselor coming, all right? And you go to those passages. They're not talking about Muhammad. They're not even talking about a prophet or a man, period. They're talking about the Holy Spirit. So again, you have nothing that comes even close, all right, to what Christianity has as far as showing itself to be true. Now, what does that all have to do with the second coming of Christ? It shows that God keeps his promises. When God prophesies something, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. It's going to take place. And the second coming of Christ, all, that, all the goodies that I talked about at the start of the sermon before I got into some of the more kind of apologetic stuff, okay? Uh, all the goodies that I talked about, Christ's victory, our victory with him, these are not empty promises. These are not just religious things that we believe in because we've got our heads in the sand the way that we're so often accused of, all right? If God prophesies that something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. One of the things that's prophesied the most in the Bible is the victorious return of Christ and us joining with him. There is gonna be a day where Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And again, I'm not trying to be anti-whatever. I've talked before. I'm, I'm the only believer outside of my kids and my entire family, okay, that is a Christian, all right? So the fact that God is going to come in judgment, 
that he is going to wipe out unbelievers, that he's going to send unbelievers to hell is not something that I take callously. It's not something I take loosely, all right? It is something that I struggle with. It's something that I lose sleep over, all right, more than I often let people uh, know about, all right? But there is a sense in which Jesus Christ is going to come down, and he is going to wipe out all of the wickedness and the evil in this world, all right? He is going to destroy Islam. He is going to destroy Mormonism. He is going to destroy uh, the religion of the Jehovah's Witnesses, and there will be one God. There will be one Savior. There will be one truth. There will be one faith, and there will be one people of God, and that is going to be stinking awesome, all right? That is what it's all about, all right? And there's this great phrase, okay, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 where it talks about when Jesus Christ comes back, we are going to marvel at him. And I love that word. What a cool word, okay? I mean, in the Greek, it just means where you are just going to be like, dude. I mean, it's just going to be like overwhelming the glory of Christ. And you're not going to be worried about being the perfect husband. You're going to worry about being the perfect wife or the perfect businessman or the perfect coach or all these silly things, okay, that we tend to focus on and that the world tells us to focus on. And unfortunately, far too often, the church tells us to focus on. You are going to be marveling. You're going to be marveling at the glory of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're going to be just fulfilled beyond anything that we can fathom. The euphoria that we are going to feel, all right, with the victory of Christ and basking in his glory for all eternity. I mean, we're just, it's just going to be perpetual bliss and happiness because of him. And that is what the uh, second coming is all about. Not about, you know, the millennial kingdom and this and that. And again, I'm not saying those things are not important details, but again, let us never make those things the focus, all right? Something that all of us as Christians can agree on is Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to get the victory. We get the victory through him. And as I said, it's going to be awesome. <clears throat> now, in conclusion, I want to tie all this back into the gospel, and I'll try to be quick. <clears throat> if this is something that you struggle with, you're not alone. If you're like, you know what, I believe everything you're saying, Dan. I- I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time. I believe what the scripture says. It's going to be awesome. But you know what? There are days where I'm just not feeling super obsessed about the glory of Christ. I'm sorry. I'm being honest, okay? There are days where I'm focused on my own idols, okay? Josh talked about uh, today in Sunday school. Um, our hearts are like little idol factories, and oh my goodness, isn't that the truth, okay? Um, you know, that's okay. That is what the gospel is all about. Believe these things, and to whatever extent we're not fully tapping into those things, all right, A, come back to the fact that you're not saved, all right, by how much you believe these things or the, the, the grade that you, that you get on these things. You have an A plus in the extent to which you are feeling full of the glory of Christ, okay? Remember, we always want to come back to our justification, all right? We are saved by placing our faith in Christ, okay? The empty hand of faith, and it only has to be the faith the size of a mustard seed, all right? And through that, the blood of Christ washes away our sins. His righteousness is imputed to us, and that is our comfort, and that is our strength. So if you're having a hard time saying, I appreciate your preaching, but I gotta be honest, I don't always feel that, all right? Just remember, okay, that is not what saves us. What saves us is the righteousness of Christ, and we always wanna come back and look to that, all right? Moving on from that, though, okay, let us not forget about our sanctification. If you're struggling with that, ask. James talks about you don't uh, receive because you what? You don't ask, all right? So often in sanctification, all right, we don't ask for God to strengthen us. We don't ask God for uh, him to build us up. We don't ask to be more obsessed with the uh, glory of Christ. And we think we got to, you know, go to more Bible studies or we got to do this, that, or the other. Simply ask, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit 
Help me to believe what is in Scripture more. Cause me to be more obsessed with the glory of Christ, all right? And I promise you he will do that. It might not happen all at once, okay? But through continually asking God, you will be more and more. That will become your focus rather than the silly things of this world, okay? And then finally, to unbelievers, okay? If, again, going back to as I've said a few times, I tried to break things down and, and you define my terms and stuff like that, but again, it's always hard, all right? As, 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 as a pastor, you're, you know, trying to reach uh, people at all different levels. If anything was confusing or, or you didn't understand every term I said, please come and ask. Please come and ask some, uh, someone else, okay, who's been in the faith, who knows these things. But if you're like, hey, I didn't understand all this stuff, but boy, I, I get the point that if I want to be fulfilled, if I want to be the person that God has created me to be, the only way to do that is to look outside of myself, to look to God, to look to Jesus Christ. I, I got that much out of this message, all right? That's what it's all about, all right? If that is you, okay, and you don't understand everything about Christianity or the Bible or the faith, and that's all fine and that's good, but if you want to know that, that fulfillment, if you want to know how it ends, all right, and that you can believe that and that you can have that relationship with Christ, okay, all you have to do is ask him, okay? You can do that while I say my final prayer. You can come and talk to one of us if you want to pray with us, if you want more details, all right? God created us to have relationship. That's what I talked about so much in the Trinity class. God within himself is relationship. I mean, that's like what defines God. He is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created us to have a relationship with himself, all right? But sin is a barrier to that. As I talked about earlier, God is a righteous God. He's a holy God. He doesn't, he's not going to tolerate sin. And I get that's politically incorrect, all right? But you got to not listen to that stuff. God will not tolerate your sin. It must be addressed. And the way that he addressed that sin was through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, right? We all instinctively understand that when we do something wrong, it deserves punishment. And when we sin against God, how much greater should the punishment be, all right? Even a little kid, when they do something wrong and they get a punishment, they might not like it. I remember when my kids were little, okay, screaming and yelling, Daddy, don't hurt me! Okay, oh my goodness, okay, it's just a spanking, you know, relax, all right? Um, uh, but, but again, there was never a sense long-term where they were like, you know, dad doesn't love me. No, they understood. When you do something wrong, there's a punishment. That is just how God, that, that's just how he works. That is his nature, all right? But the awesome thing is when it comes to our ultimate punishment, God punishing us for our sins, which is what we deserve, he came to this earth and he took that punishment on our behalf. And if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, he will forgive you of your sins because of what he did on the cross, taking that punishment. His righteousness will be credited to your account so God can say, you get to come into heaven because you have fulfilled my requirements, not through yourself, but through what Jesus did. And his Holy Spirit will come within you. He will change you. He will sanctify you. You will be a new person and you will know that fulfillment that can come from Jesus Christ. And all the things that we have talked about will not just be true out there, but will be true for you. Please pray that prayer uh, while I say my final prayer or come and talk to somebody or come and talk to one of the elders uh, and we will walk you through that. If you're a visitor, if you're feeling those things, God is a God who is in control of all things. You're not here by accident. He has you here. He had you here today to hear the sermon, not because I'm such a great preacher, but because the gospel was preached, okay, uh, and he wants you uh, um, uh, to come to know him, okay? All right, let us pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we just thank you, God, for your word. <clears throat> we thank you that it is true. We thank you that it, you've shown us that it is true both in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, 
and also through uh, the evidence that we talked about. We thank you that you're going to return. We thank you that we can bask in that. We thank you that no matter what happens in our life and no matter how bad it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, and no matter how much we screw up, and we screw up a lot, that, Lord God, you are going to come back. You are going to take us with you. You are going to have the victory, and we're going to have our victory in you. I pray, God, for those um, that I was just talking about, anyone who is um, uh, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, Lord God, that you would uh, uh, regenerate them, that you would change their heart, that you would bring them into your kingdom, God, if that be in your will. We pray that you would do that right now. We thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for this worship service. We thank you so much for all that you are, Jesus. And again, we thank you that you are going to come back one day. And we praise you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.